Hello and welcome to North 100, a Canadian Highlander podcast. I'm Serge. Joining me, I have a Jer. Hello. An Alex. Hey. And a Ben. I'm older than time itself. That's true. So is the podcast. And a reminder that this podcast is brought to you by you with your support over at the Patreon at patreon.com slash loading ready run. Let's start it off today with our opening segment, the best card that you're not playing. And up today is me. I want to talk about a card that I like a lot and I think people might already be aware of but might be playing wrong. A little land called Glacial Chasm. It doesn't even tap for mana. Doesn't even tap for mana. So Glacial Chasm is a land, as we said, has cumulative upkeep two, an old mechanic, but you know, a little two bit steep. what, sir? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, cumulative upkeep, pay two life. Then it says when it comes into play, sacrifice a land, a lot of downside here, but <laughs> there's more downside. Creatures you control can't attack, but the reason you play this card, prevent all damage that would be dealt to you. Now, I think a lot of lands players are already including this. Uh, they think of it kind of like a panic button or a fog or a tool that enables them to beat aggro. You know, you're looking across from a red deck and you're like, ha, I've played Glacial Chasm, now you can't hurt me, provided I can find a way to win, maybe through the cumulative upkeep of life pay. Uh, but I think a lot of people are overlooking this card as a setup piece for combo, uh, especially between its interaction with uh, fast bond. So the way fast bond is worded, it says, you know, you can play additional lands per turn, but for every land you play after the first, take one damage. Take one damage. It's not loss of life. Oh. Which means if glacial chasm is in play, you effectively have uh, the startings of, a, of an infinite loop. You have the two pieces you need. So if you have a Crucible of Worlds in play, if you have something like Obero, if you have something like that, if you have an engine that lets you play lands over and over and over, Glacial Chasm is the tool that lets you start to really pop off with uh, a fast bond. Does this work with Renin 6? Does Renin 6 say damage? No, 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 they, they put uh, land back into play, don't they? No, they into return your hand. your hand. Yeah. Well, I mean... So one of the things Alex is talking about there is one of the ways to play around or mitigate the downside of Glacial Chasm. You're like, I really don't want to pay two life every turn. That's an expensive thing to do. What what can I do uh, to work around it? Well, if you don't pay the life, the way cumulative upkeep works, if you don't pay the cost, you sacrifice it. So if you have some way to start to recur it, you can create locks that don't cost you life because life is a resource. And while you can pay a little bit, eventually if you get low enough, it gets kind of scary and kind of bad. Hmm. Um, I don't know, uh, Ben. You've been you uh, self-proclaimed number one lands player in the format. I never said I was the number one. I just okay. said I was the most prolific, oh. <laughs> um, most iconic lands player. Most in the memorable, format. right? Yeah, Cer certainly at the table. When you think of lands, you think a Wheeler. Yes, you had a question attached to that, or um, just Wait. wanted me to speak on how powerful Glacial Chasm. You were you were mentioning recently you've been you've been jamming lands, and how's Glacial Chasm been with you? Uh, it's a fantastic search. It's also as we talked before, and one of the reasons why it's up here too is because people don't on like they don't grasp how pivotal or how how influential in like the lands shell this type of effect can be. Like this is a game changer. Yeah, it it comes off more like it's not an Urborg level of how's that happening when you get this in fast bond, but it's pretty darn close. Yeah, 
All right. Well, let's introduce today's theme. Uh, we we haven't done it in a while, but we're going to do a little Q&A style episode today, which I'm very excited about. So without further ado, welcome to the summer 2019 Q&A. Uh, I threw up a modest little tweet on Twitter. Uh, and in 24 hours, I had somewhere in the realm of like 180, 200 responses or something like that. Weird so flex, but okay. <laughs> what, what I wanted to say was thank you to everybody for all the support and all the passion, all the interest you've shown in the format. It means a lot. Uh, unfortunately, we can't get to all of the questions, um, but we've definitely gone through and, and picked a few that we think are quite interesting and might give some insight. Uh, so the first one I'm going to start with is actually two questions, and this is probably the, it, it's weird to say it's the single most asked question because there's sort of three or four different ways to phrase this question that kind of lean to the same thing. So from MTG, uh, we have, do you think there are undiscovered decks in the format? Uh, but related to that, we have another question by Kieran Block that says, what are your favorite decks that aren't quite there yet? And what do they need? So basically the, the, the question we have here is what's new? What's the way to discover stuff? You know, what's, what, yeah. Okay. That, that's yes. a, it's, it's yes. sort of a weird question. It's sort of a big question. Go ahead, Alex. Uh, there are undiscovered decks. There will always be undiscovered decks. How um, did you say something so bold yet controversial? Yeah, I mean, let's, like, I'm going to get barbecued in the con uh, the comments here. Um, there's how many cards in this game? Like 13,000? 13,000. Right? Oh, over 20,000. It's over 20,000 now? Yeah, there's 20,000 so, there's right? 20, 000 cards in the game. They print new ones. I think like, it's like 16, yeah. 16. point four. Now? Yeah. Oh, okay. I wasn't too far off. No, yeah. Close. There's a bunch. They print new ones every three months. Uh, <laughs> and They used to. Wow. <laughs> yeah, more yeah, than it's that. Every, yeah. every. It's a continuous so they're, so they're preview season. Every three every month. weeks. Um, <laughs> and that's not even uh, addressing just the idea of uh, different minds approaching the task of trying to build a deck. Because there's plenty of decks that just sort of come out of nowhere because like nobody really <coughs> thought to put those things together benjamin wheeler yeah huh I'd, so, like, I'd like to think a couple of people at the table we are all known for basically finding archetypes i mean and, i was gonna say it's just like you know a bunch of combos existed and then one day ben was just like but what if i put all of them in a bucket <laughs> it's like i just shook that bucket up and served yeah, the the it's like the first kid to discover like swamp water at like a fountain pop thing it's like oh my god this actually tastes good his dad's just like you can have root beer or coke and he's like <laughs> so i definitely think there are undiscovered good decks we're all tinkerers uh and the other thing is um I don't think Highlander has been solved yet, unlike a standard metagame. I hope not. And talking about what Alex said there, with such a deep card pool, it's a much larger challenge to do that. But maybe let's talk about, our, do we have any specific examples of decks that you feel are not quite there yet? Oh, Ben does. Okay, so this is something that I have slammed on the podcast before, and it re has received some recent tools within the past year and having played it recently, can I can I guess I, before you announce it? Sure. Having played it, having played it recently, being like, oh my god, this might actually be really good. Is it Boros equipment? No. Right. Oh, it's zombie aristocrats. <laughs> so I built 
black white zombie aristocrats thinking it was just another like this is a niche archetype idea people want to see it brought to life i might do a thing with it but pro like i my my hopes weren't high and then i just started killing people and lose it and whenever i lost i lost to either not being ambitious enough in deck building because i undersold the archetype before i really did a deep dive or i just didn't realize just how gas i could have gone hmm. so like definitely my losses felt like they were set by limitations that i unfairly just threw on the deck because the deck's gas you would just like play you just aggro them down for the first couple of turns their removal all sucks because you get everything back because they're zombies and then you're just like oh you're at seven okay uh i'll play my second blood artist <laughs> and kill them because you get eight or nine blood artist effects across these nine? colors yeah in in black white alone for zombies if you go if you had blue you can get more but I don't think you need to. Like, it was very odd. And again, I've slammed zombies, right? I've said, like, why would I ever play this as a tribal deck? And I think this is an important thing when it comes to people that have this idea that, like, there is portions of the, the format that is solved, is that you just have to look at something differently mm. and try it. Because I was too... I, I tunnel-visioned on building it like, I'm tribal, I have to turn things sideways and kill them. I didn't think I'm tribal. Look to what that tribe does better than other tribes. Sure. I kind of want to I want to kind of throw to Jer here. You were mentioning Boros equipment as as sort of the new deck that's not quite there, but you're excited about? Yeah, I, I think that deck keeps getting more and more powerful pieces and I think it's getting closer and closer and eventually someone's going to play it and it's going to just start winning tournaments cuz in, there are certain metagames where equipment's just really, really powerful, especially the the cheap creatures that benefit from having a d high density of equipment. And so, sorry, not to cut you off, but the the conundrum I always felt with that sort of deck is that you either get like equipment and no creatures, or creatures and no equipment. But is like that a thing that happens, or that, that's definitely. A potential, but one of the things they're doing is they're just printing better and better equipment and better and better creatures, so that the you can still win if you just draw the creatures. You can you're likely not going to win if you just draw equipment, but you're going to have more creatures than equipment in your deck. Hmm. Anyways, also just like the like just good cards you get to put in your deck are better. Like you get to like slam Gideon Blackblade in the deck now, and that deck's just that card's just a house, and like so like you're just upgrading across the board like you get to play better and better equipment, better and better creatures, and the like, good stuff filler you put in your synergy deck is also improving. So. so anything else on this one? I mean, we talked about the philosophy on discovered decks, and that's a big one, but any potentially specific decks? Uh, I'm seeing where um, uh, Rakdos uh, Junkyard gets me. It's uh, the sort of like re uh, red-black Sometimes you could splash other colors, but it's like an an artifact centric uh, reanimator deck. Yeah. And the, I think the strength I'm trying to sort of build towards is whereas a conventional reanimator deck will power out an overcosted donkey really fast and be all in on this thing's back. Um, this deck is able to 
put these threats into play over and over again. So it's like a deck that plays stuff like Sneak Attack. It does stupid oh, yeah. things with Goblin Welder. Um, you have like Recurring Nightmare, things like that, where it's just like... They're more of an attrition style. Well, in which case, let's move on to our next question here. Uh, this is from Joker Boney, and they ask, what is your biggest challenge when it comes to playing against an archetype that you do not enjoy? So, Alex, remember remember the old days of Back to Basics and <laughs> Vidalcan Shackles and just the absolute misery of playing against those two cards? Old days. Yeah. <laughs> Back to Basics is an occupational hazard for me. I still, to this day, don't know how to beat Shackles. Like, I think my brain shuts off when I see that card because I'm just like, I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose. Uh, I can't beat this card. <laughs> So in this case, uh, Vidalcan Shackles, uh, specifically, not just Shackles. Um. Yeah, yeah, that one. So Vidalcan Shackles, if you're not familiar, is a three-mana artifact that says, you may choose not to untap Shackles during your untap step. For two and tap, gain control of target creature with power less than or equal to the number of islands you control for as long as Vidalcan Shackles remains tapped. So yeah, just the the joy of trying to play a creature deck against a control deck that always always takes your best creature. The thing I think the decks that I actually least like playing against are um, the sort of harder combo decks where I will aggress really effectively. They'll get to like five, and then it'll be like, <laughs> and it's just kind of disappointing. Um, you like you got so close, but it's like you, you kind of have to meta around you know what's there. You have to, you know, play like you're not going to auto lose. I um, think the important thing is how do you manage the tilt inside of yourself? You know, you go into a, a, such a big part of Magic, especially such a big part of Highlander, is playing tight, and and you know trying to always be aware of all the lines that are available. And if your mentality starts to go away, how do you how do you keep yourself positive in something that? tilts you out. Well, I am 37 years old. <laughs> ben. That's the shitty answer. Uh, one of the biggest things that has helped with me managing tilt because uh, I I mean, I'm not going to say something as so bold as to say that I never tilt, right. but I, I can confidently say I never will like do so in a way that either makes my opponent uncomfortable or makes me feel affects me. Like I'll walk away from the table being like, I should have done this. I could have done this or whatever it may be. Cause ultimately I think no matter how many excuses you make of it's a bad matchup or boiled down to variance or, Oh my God, if they had drawn any other card or whatnot, like you can always like, there's something you could have done. You could have built your deck differently. You could have built a better deck. You could have played better, mulligan more, whatever it may be. And then when you take that and pair it with like the fact that unless you're playing at the highest of highs when it comes to the level or whatever it is, like it's just a game. Having been in situations where I have lost, like lost matches from my own mistakes where there were thousands of dollars on the line, uh, black lotuses on the line, other pieces of power on the line. It just makes, like, having those losses just makes everything else just so much, like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, who cares? Just try to, like, if you lose, just use that to better yourself. Mm -hmm. Or, like, 
just you know learn from it use everything as a learning experience and for the love of all that is holy do not throw a tantrum <laughs> oh god I, yes n- like I, and i'm not being cute or cheeky about this because i've seen like grown-ass people like throw children's tantrums over the game don't be that person it's so awful for everyone it to- sucks I'll throw to Jared really quickly. Jared, any, any, how do you handle this? You seem very calm and collected. What's going on inside your head? It's just what Ben said, is that, like, realizing that, like, most people aren't playing the finals of a pro tour when they sit down to play Magic, and that the stakes are usually quite low, and that it's just a game and you're there to have fun. And, like, my goals are to improve, and the best attitude to improve is, once again, just echoing what Ben said is, like, it's okay to be frustrated with a loss as long as you don't make it miserable for your anyone else mm. and ideally not yourself as well. But afterwards, being able to, like, go over the game, try to analyze it as best you can and, and realizing if you could have could have done anything better. Sometimes it's also, like, realizing that the best players in Magic's history have, like, a between 60 and 70% win rate. <clears throat> and, that, and those are, like, outliers and, in, like the top five players of all time like most like it is a relatively high variance game like if you don't want to play a high variance game i'm down to play online chess whenever you want (laughs) to to tie it to tie it back into about like archetype specific things um it the the advice of again using it as a, a learning experience and looking to better yourself around it is also very much relevant like i a lot of the times if you have an archetype that you really hate losing to it's because you have there's there's a part of you that irrationally puts too much importance mm-hmm. on other things in that archetype i hate time vault with a passion <laughs> i think it's a coward's way out <laughs> um i when i fight time vault especially early on I de- one of the reasons why I felt like there's nothing I could do is because I was putting too much importance on the parts of those decks or that combo that don't actually matter. Mm. And that you'll see that um, in a really simple mindset, it's if you're against a creature deck and somebody just kills literally every creature they see, when that's the play pattern that just gets you to lose to like a hazard or something like that. Mm. Um, when you're against a time vault deck uh for that one specifically you have to recognize that a lot of these things that bring frustration also come paired with cards that don't do anything yeah and so if their goal is to have a plus b or a single card that invalidates what you do which you give so much more credibility to because it's yourself right (laughs) you're going to put a lot more emphasis on what you brought as being legitimate as opposed to what your opponent's using which you deem as not as legitimate because they are just turning a key sideways or whatever. Um, but you have to understand that they also have these cards that don't do anything. Yeah. And they have these things that don't really matter. And so you have to, by getting better, you start to understand what is actually important for you on your side of the table and for what they deem important for them to start comboing off, for lack well, of a better term. To add to that, I played your outs. Mm-hmm. Which is, and, and that's the importance of, of trying to keep yourself calm is you have to, you have to sit there. So uh, 
a lot of people hate playing against blue. Like that's probably <laughs> one of the most common things you hear. It's like ah, counter spells, whatever, and you're like ah, I can't beat this. But you, well, what in your deck can? You know, you could sit there. Your your opponent can have a Jace the Mind Sculptor in play and a counter spell in hand, and you're like, well, I'll play a Creeping Tarpet. And you just have to sit there and start thinking about what can I do? Well, you can't counter my land. You can't bounce my land. Uh, and then I'm going to animate this thing and I'm going to kill your Planeswalker. Mm -hmm. Like there there are there are lines that go through or there isn't. And then you're like, okay, what, what can I learn from this game? What can I do better? And that's fine too. Every, oh, go ahead. And another important thing is lots of times when you get put up in your bad matchups, your, your internal biases start coming through. Like Flash Hulk is my version of Ben's Time Vault. I just... Hmm can't stand that that particular combo and it, it drives me insane and I find like looking back on those matches I could have won a bunch of them but because it's that particular matchup I just wasn't playing as well as I could have I wasn't thinking as clearly yeah. and I just assumed they always had it and I find lots of people do that when I play blue decks lots of people just assume I always have it and I have like Nothing a bunch in hand. of wheel spinning yeah. garbage yeah. in hand and they you've like you've resigned yourself to failure yeah you've already yeah, told yourself exactly. you're going to lose before the game's even started cowboy magic make them have it a lot <laughs> of it a lot of it is mental when it comes to that totally and not actually any anything to do with the game of magic it's just attitude and bait the counter spell <laughs> All right, well, let's move to something maybe a little bit lighter, maybe a little bit more positive. <laughs> uh, this question actually comes to us from Jer. Hello. Uh, who says, what is your favorite recent card? Because we, you know, we talk about how old the format is, but sometimes new spice comes out. Uh, Jer, let's start with you. You you, begged, you asked us the question, what, what are you hype on recently? Yeah, so in, in classic fashion, I asked a question without having a good answer. To <laughs> But uh, I've been playing a bunch of uh, on Arena, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna steal this card because I'm I'm just really excited to use it, and it's one of it's a super cool card is Yerok the Desecrated. The what? It's it's not actually I don't know, I'm not even sure it's good in Highlander. <laughs> but it's just such a dope card. It's a two and two and bug, so five mana for a three five with Death Touch and Life Link. And if a permanent entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent, you control to trigger, including that that permanent. So like all ETBs, double trigger. That that ability triggers an additional time. Hmm. I just think it's such a cool design. Uh, Panharmonicon, but yeah, Panharmonicon. All the Hearthstone players are gonna obviously gonna say they they stole it from Hearthstone, but like, <laughs> it goes both ways. And it's, I just think it's a really cool design. I think it's in dope colors for that ability. I'm really glad they made it three colored. Uh, yeah. Cool. That's my favorite card. <laughs> I'm not even going to make the joke, but I know that I know now that you know that I know that you yeah. know the joke. So, yeah. all right, we're good. All right. Uh, <laughs> the card that I want to talk about is a little bit older. Uh, this is a standout from Ixalan. Let's talk about Search for Ascanta. Oh. This card is so cool. Uh, again, talking to Jer. Uh, uh, regarding like the design space and stuff like this. So Search for Iskanta is a two mana legendary enchantment for one and a blue. It says, at the beginning of your upkeep, look at the top card of your library. You may put it into your graveyard. Then if you have seven or more cards in your graveyard, you may transform it. And on the other side, we have, we found it! Azkanta, the sunken ruin. Legendary land, tap to add blue to your mana pool, or for two and a blue and tap, look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal a non-creature, non-land card from amongst them and put them into your hand, and then put the rest on the bottom of your library. This card is so cool! Just talking about 
new cards in a design space, just uh, a, a low drop card that lets you get some card selection, some card filtering, and puts it into your graveyard. Um, a lot of people tend to feel that cards that go into your graveyard are gone or that are lost, which is why I think a lot of people, <laughs> um, I mean, if we, mm. if we talk about, again, archetypes that tilt people out, a lot of people worry about mill cards. They feel that a card that's gone into your graveyard and been milled is something that's been taken away from you. So they overthink its power or overestimate the effect. But in Highlander, your graveyard is a resource. And you know, putting cards into your graveyard is basically like making a bigger hand uh, and then flipping over this. We need more cards that turn into lands, right? A legendary land that also, that A, ramps you, or B, in a long game, lets you lets you just start drawing gas. This card is amazing. I want to put it in every single blue deck I have. I love it. Is there anything we can do to teach people that mill is not actually that good? Especially not in this format. You can just roll footage of like any time anyone has ever cast Thought Scour in this format. <laughs> and then check how many times they go Thought Scour me yeah. and Thought Scour you. And any time they Thought Scour you has, say, a vampire sure. tutor being cast or a personal tutor. It's just. Well, I don't know if it was you that was saying that there's this. Maybe it comes from like draft where there's this like enormous overvaluation of uh, mill cards where it's just like mill you oh you got my bomb I can never cast my bomb these cards are broken uh, it's like you, it's like you played removal on me that's a well there's definitely like a general feeling of that in in magic that's been prevalent forever but I also think recently with people coming from other games mm -hmm. where if you if a thing goes kaput then it's it's gone forever. gone forever sure yeah. Um, hmm. Like, if it gets uh, burned, let's say, hmm. without naming the other games, um, then it's gone. And these are d these are games and, and decks that are based around having these cards in your deck that you will always get access to. Hmm. So they put too much on that. Okay. Um, but, yeah. I got one for you. Let's hear it. Uh, it's um, Song of the Dryads, which we... It was a, a best card you're not playing. Um, and... When I first saw this card, I was like, "Oh, this is kind of a cute meme card." What does it do? It's, it's, sorry, it's a it's a enchantment, uh, two and a green enchant permanent. Enchanted permanent is a colorless forest land. Congratulations, so, you're a tree. Yeah, you're a tree. Um, when this came out, I was like, "Oh, this is kind of cute." You know, I wanted to run it and see, you know, if it would be kind of okay. This is just like oblivion ring most of the time, or like another copy of Maelstrom Pulse. Uh, and it hits lands. So the downside of giving them a land, which may not even be in their colors, you know, is not that big a deal for being able to deal with anything. In green, which is a color that doesn't usually get the opportunity to, like, make thing go away, except for, you know, like a handful of sort of... It's usually, like, non-land, non-creature. Like, they'll blow something up with... Uh, yeah, it does a really good job Whatever. of killing artifacts and enchantments. It's easy, like, <laughs> yeah, it's easy to cast. Um, it doesn't give them like a ridiculous advantage compared to something compared like Beast to, Within, right? Yeah, definitely compared to Beast Within, and it's like it, it's just a problem solver. Cool. So, Wheeler, what you got? So, as I'm sure all of you are aware, Modern Horizons was very kind to yes. my preferred archetype selection, mm -hmm. um, but. 
going a little bit before that, there are two cards that I've been I've Ooh. been fighting with. All right. But I'm gonna go with one, and that's Ilharg the Razebore. <laughs> uh, it's three red red for a legendary uh, boar god. Uh, I think you misspelled beautiful pig. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a 6-6 six, six trample that says when it attacks, you can put a creature card from your hand uh, onto the battlefield tapped and attacking, and you return that creature to your hand at the beginning of the next end step. And then, when Ilharg dies or is put into exile from the battlefield, you put it third from the top, or you may put it third from the top. Uh, this card's really good at sneaking out Anything, everything. Trench yeah. George, George, uh, Emmercool, uh, Emmercool, Emmercool, <laughs> uh, Big Daddy Demon, Emmercool, uh, Emmercool, <laughs> um, even stuff like Trinket Mage. Like <laughs> the decks, the the variety of decks spell that I played seeker. this card in. Yeah, Spellseeker. I killed someone by putting a Dimir Infiltrator in, <laughs> which felt pretty good. Um, Hold on, we're, I need to put red-white uh, equipment together and just keep sneak attacking with uh, Stoneforge Mystic. Oh. <laughs> yeah, this this pig does everything. Um, it's really it's, big, too. It's, it's huge. It's surprisingly flexible. Again, because I just... When I started talking about this card, we covered the things that cost eight mana or more, and then weird, dorky utility creatures. Because it doesn't matter, the pig just crashes in, and if you're playing it in the like hyper-aggressive combo decks, you can Seething Song into this, and your opponent, who's like, okay, they're on combo, I brainstormed away my removal, uh -oh. and then they're just like, oh no, <laughs> there's this pig <laughs> looking at me now. Um, or like, playing, hey. it in, playing it in hoof. Amazing. And you're just like, all right, I'll attack. Uh, I guess I'll just put in like a Rex Age or whatever and blow up your equipment and then get it back. And then, oh, by the way, there's a six drop, or a six power creature fighting you. Too. Yeah, cool. I love this pig. Have you ever put in deranged or deep forest hermit with the pig? <laughs> no, I haven't. Got, I put in. Good. I put in Avengers <laughs> Endicar. That felt pretty good. Great, Google, um, But yeah, just like it comes back. Like this card's so obvious. And then there's also let's let's talk about the boar in the room. There's it's a massive boar god. Hello? Everyone, everyone around is just like, yay! It's yay. it's great. Like this is this is the perfect card. All right, all right, all right. Fair enough. All right, let's move on to our next question here. There are certain styles of decks available in other formats, but not yet in Canadian Highlander. Which would you want to be air quotes viable, and what would it take to make it a thing? Uh, this is a question from the Sound of White Noise. So I'll lead right here. Um, Dredge. We always talk about how cool it would be if you could get like a dredge or bridge from below deck to work in Highlander. Um, and that one isn't there because there just isn't enough card density to make that archetype work. And that always bums me out because we keep trying and we keep hoping yeah. and it's just not happening. And that format is so dominant everywhere else. Just look at, um, oh, modern. what's its name? Uh, Hogak in modern right now. In the well, not anymore, but. Yeah. Oh no, yeah, still, still now. Oh, still, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like that that deck just doesn't quite have the same reach or power level in Highlander yet. Uh, any anyone else have any examples? I was going to say zombie bombardment, but it may turn out that my dreams become reality. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should talk. Um, what about you? I want more 
cheap artifact creatures to have a mud stack stack. Mm. Oh. Not, not your battle bots, not your hover yeah. mirrors and your hover mirrors and like not even <laughs> hover mirror, but like I want. And it, people that play vintage are just like, what? No, shut up! But like, I just want more. Like, I just want to put in a hate piece off of a workshop or an ancient tomb. And I don't want. I want the only basic lands in my deck to be wastes. I just want more stuff for medium brown, and I just want to lock them out. And we're not. I mean, we're kind. You can technically do all this, but who am I kidding? All those wins are off of mana crypt and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. That's that's. Super I just want true. more reliable twos. Is that so much to ask? Mm. But Ben, you have Hovermere. Have you thought about Hovermere? Oh God, no. It's... Do you realize that you're just inviting these stupid things to come into the mail? Please don't send <laughs> any of us any hover mirrors. I hope you understand the irony of that statement. <laughs> you're telling me to not mention anything to get it sent, and then you're telling them not to send it? I'm so now doing, they're going to send I'm it. I'm doing what I can. Oh, we, yeah. we have piles <laughs> of charging badges. <laughs> yes. And bump in the night. And bump in the night. <laughs> yeah. They are literal garbage cluttering up our office. Right. Please don't. Jared? Uh, I tend to make most of the archetypes I want at least somewhat work, but I don't get to play my favorite card. My favorite card in all of Magic is Accumulated Knowledge. Ah. Uh, what does that do? So it's one in a blue for an instant. You draw a card, then draw cards equal to the number of cards named Accumulated Knowledge in all graveyards. Mm -hmm. It's it's a glorious thing. Have you in ever drawn two? Intuitioning for Accumulated Knowledge is just chef's kiss. <laughs> Um, five mana for a recall is all I ever wanted in the world. Um, yeah, and you, you just can't really make it work in Highlander. There's just, just no way. Like, even if you make a deal with all the other blue players, like, all right, we'll all play Accumulated Knowledge and one of us will get to draw two, it, it's not good. Trust me, I've tried. Hey, what about Jund? What about Because, like, that deck exists in our format. But I was always under the impression that it's not as good as it could be. You mean Jund aggro or Jund midrange or Jund land? Well, there's a I actually think all of those decks have one of the better win rates. It's just it's they're not that exciting to play. It's also just like a meme locally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's all become right. a meme where people are just like, there's one aggro pilot, uh, former counselor, uh, who was like, would go on a tear with these good decks and then be like, all right, time to break out the Jund. And then it's like, oh, two, oh, two, one, three. And it's just like, why, why isn't it working? <laughs> Come on. But I mean, what Alex is talking about early in modern, Jund yeah. was the deck to beat. Four of Lightning, Four of Thoughtseize, Goyf, Liliana, and Bloodbraid Elf. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and then and then Bloodbraid Elf went away. And there was a while that Jund was also splashing white for Lingering Souls. Like, that deck was oppressive. Um, and I don't... I, there hasn't been, like, Jund is the deck to beat in Highlander. Yeah, not... I mean, now, I think one of the ways for Jund to become that is one of the ways that Jund in Modern has taken form now with Renin Six is you just take advantage of the fact that you're an attrition deck, so let's also just blow up their lands. Let's strip lock you. Let's, you don't even have to do that. Let's just hit two of your lands, resolve a planeswalker, catch up. Which one's Ren and which one's Six? Um, Ren is the Dryad, 
and six refers to the the tree mech, um, the Ava, Wait. and six is the is a reference to the num which dryad like the number of dryads that Ren has bonded with. So this is the sixth Ava. This is unit six. <laughs> All right. Does that make sense? No, clear as mud. Okay, so <laughs> no, it's uh, that, that's perfect. That's the perfect explanation there. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the planeswalker instrumentation plan. Yeah. <laughs> Get in the six, Ren. <laughs> My brain hurts. <laughs> All right. Uh, unless there's anything else we want to add, I want to move on to our. our yes, please. Wait, the hands. Oh, for <laughs> get out! Get out of my podcast in, right this instant, you son of a! Oh, I'm oh, so oh, so good. <laughs> all right, all right. Our last question God, for the day: How much does the singleton aspect of the format influence your decision making and general enjoyment of the format? This is a question from Max Turtle. Uh, let's start with Jer. How do you how do you feel about the singleton nature of the format? Uh, very positively. <laughs> uh, back when I played a lot of Legacy, uh, I, about one in every four weeklies, I would try to play a, a singleton Legacy deck, anyways. <laughs> so I just really like singleton. Uh, I recently started jamming the uh, almost singleton Snow Legacy deck that. That popped up. There's a couple twos. You still play four brainstorms, four forces, but it looks really, really goofy. You got like one Narset, one True Nemesis, one Jace the Mind Sculptor, one Lightning Bolt, one Fatal Push, one Inquisition of Coast Left. It answers everything. One wow. counter spell. A little mystery box it's there. It's all held together with four Arkham's Astrolab. So, but, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I am not sure I would have gotten into Highlander if it weren't for the, the singleton nature. I just love mm. the sort of like polarity between getting to play like some real bad cards next to like ancestral <laughs> recall and black lotus one of the one of the things we talk about is how and literally the, the previous question was how some archetypes can't work here because there isn't enough consistency there isn't enough depth uh but on the other hand i love that i love the deck building challenge of trying to make something work and having to be really creative. But uh, we've, all, we've talked about that a lot in the deck building portion, but when it comes to playing it, I love that I only have one chance with a card oftentimes. One uh, opportunity. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to throw away so the, <laughs> Where you, you get your one demonic tutor and you're like, okay, I get to tutor for this card, and it has to, I have to be right this time because I'm not going to draw a second copy of Demonic Tutor. And I'm, again, we can talk about ways to regrow it or Snapcaster or Infinite whatever, tutor. and we talk about you know the, the graveyard as a resource, but for the purposes of this example, I still think that is valid. Because if you fetch wrong, you know, you're like, oh, right, I only, I'm playing a three-color deck, and this is the only land I have that gets these two. I have to be really aware of that limitation when I do that because, okay, I have eight other fetches in my deck. I need to be strategic when I fetch with this to not only the cards in my hand, but for my next couple draws, what am I, what am I going to get there? Um, and the amount of different lines that you play in Singleton, I in Highlander in particular, I, I can't think of another format that adds that challenge and that breadth of play, and that's why I play this format. I got an answer. Every Highlander deck is a player-curated uh, Magic Greatest Hits exhibit. <laughs> and I love that. 
Um, from like the the card picks to the actual printings themselves, it's just this snapshot of you know sometimes many previous iterations of archetypes that have you know been around forever or ones that are very new. Um, you have old cards, new cards, and you can see the sort of like progression through uh, the history of Magic. I mean, it's like even with just like Llanowar Elves, Finhorn Elves, Elvish Mystic, you know, and What's-Her-Face is in there somewhere. It's just like a great little slice of uh, the game, and I think it's highly representational of what the game is, um, which I also appreciate. It would be boring if we played a hundred card format and like instead of like if I if we had access to four Tarmogoyfs <laughs> like that to me for for this for the sake of creating like a, a different experience a unique experience um, and one that showcases the the history of magic that's you're not going to achieve that now if instead of four Goyfs I get Goyf Query and Dryad, Deep Root Champion, and Werebear, then we're Gucci. Right? That's like, a very interesting spread of the, the hierarchy of Goyf there. You just get to play, like, you just get, because of the nature, You if you're looking for a density of a specific type of effect, you can often find it by exploring previous archetypes of yeah. the history of magic. And in doing so, you get to, like, you know, what, where do you get to play Query and Dryad? Right. Where? You yeah. don't. Yeah. And so to be like, play this card and like have this card be one of the auto includes for an archetype, and you're like, oh yeah, for sure. Query and dry it easy. Um, but I like, love Mark. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, it's bringing back like these all-stars of constructed formats in days past. Well, Marshall really Sutcliffe cool. was like, I get to play Mole Drifter again? Yeah. Right? Like, he's like, I can't play Mole Drifter anywhere. <laughs> um, and then for the, like, uh, the... For a more real-time kind of view on the singleton, it's, look, I play a lot of combo. I yeah. think that's f fair to say. And when I'm playing something like Eggs or Garbage Plate, where it's these high-density combo decks, I love it when one of my options gets removed. Because mm -hmm. then I'm like, okay, now I have to do this. Like, it, it's, it's this, like puzzle that changes turn by turn and like, you can make that as a general statement for magic but like when you're a singleton combo based deck with all these different lines and branches into various synergies if my opponent plays a thing like a scavenging ooze it's like okay cross these off my sure. menu you're like now all my graveyard options it. are gone yeah. yeah and so like it's just a series of all these lights on a board for every turn or in every draw different ones light up different ones go dark Recalculating. Yeah, basically. <laughs> it's, it's, it's great. I love it. And especially with like decks that draw a bunch of cards, you're like, okay, now I can do this. I can do it. I can do Oh, no, I can't do it now anymore. <laughs> you're like, okay, well, Pivot. I drew my Pivot. Lotus Bloom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that line's cut off. All right. Well, with that, uh, I'm probably just going to call it for the QA portion and move portion. on. Portion. 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 And then move on to other things. Uh, let's portion. let's move on to powerful magic. Our typical closing segment, uh, and I'm going to throw it over to Jer. Jer, regale us with a tale of magic. So this is a story of almost powerful magic, hmm. but still more powerful than my opponent expected. <laughs> Go on. So recently I've been jamming Aluren. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who watched the, the first episode of the FNPF Canlander 
Paper Fight. Summer League. F- I said Paper Fight twice. Summer League <laughs> Season 2. Pay-per-view. Um, no spoilers, but I'm playing Lurin. Uh, and I I got out to a, a weekly tournament at YJ and was jamming a Lurin. My opponent was vaguely familiar, which is about the highest familiarity my opponents typically have with the deck, unless I'm playing against mostly Ben. Um, but one of the advantages of playing Learn is that your opponent really has no idea what's going on or how close they are to dead. Because it looks <laughs> like you're just playing a bunch of garbage. Like, some of them draw a card, some of them, like, bounce another creature that drew you a card. Uh, and I was, they were like, the deck really doesn't seem that fast. I'm like, no, it's really not. Like, you know, most of the time you're just playing, you're chump blocking. Eventually you get down a Dreamstalk, which is 1-5, so, you know, that blocks the throne all day long. Um, but, yeah, mostly you're just playing some, like, derpy 1-1s. You get people with Pendlehaven sometimes. It's great. Uh, but I opened up my hand, and my hand had two lands. Uh, we'll say they're mostly irrelevant. They both made green. I think one, at least one was a fetch land. I had Ella Damry's Call, which tutors for any creature, yep. green and a white. I had a Lurin in my opening hand, Ooh. and I had Militia Bugler, and I had a Cantripping Creature. It was either Elvish Visionary or Fibblefib. Um, and the seventh card is, is irrelevant for the purposes of this story. Uh, so I was like, when the, the basis of a Lurin is if you go a Lurin and then you cast either Imperial Recruiter or Recruiter of the Guard, you can create a chain that wins you the game. Uh, and so I already had both the pieces, essentially, because Ella Damry's Call represents either of the recruiters, whichever I wanted to go get. Sure. Uh, so I had the combo in my mm-hmm. hand just after my opponent and I were talking about how this deck isn't very fast and mostly does nothing. <laughs> so I'm like, hmm, this is probably pretty good. They assume my deck mostly does nothing and is not fast. I could kill them on turn four. Uh, <laughs> seems good. So... I kept my hand, even though it was a little land light. I drew Deathrite Shaman for the first turn. Wow. No, sorry, second turn. First turn, I played a land and passed. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, can't get too hype. So, turn two, I had a choice of either tutoring for my recruiter or playing Deathrite Shaman. At this point, I had drawn the, the my third land. So, I was if I played Deathrite Shaman and it lived, I could for sure play a Lurin next turn. And then if I hit with my Militia Bugler or my Fibblethip, if I hit a Recruiter, I could win on turn three. <laughs> so, of course, being the, the greedy cowboy that I am, I I decided to make my deck have it, and I played Deathrite Shaman instead of tutoring Sure. Tutoring for my creature. Which I like the I, insight on the two lines there. I, I think was was probably correct. Yeah. Uh, make him have it, right? Yeah. I, I don't think my opponent was playing a... I didn't ha- see my opponent having many ways to remove a learn once it was in play. So just getting it in play seemed good. Uh, it's sort of like Flash Hulk in that regard, except like a six instead of a ten on in terms of power level. Like once you have a learn in play, you can kill your opponent at any time. So like once Flash Hulk has Flash in hand, they can kill you at any time. Uh, and then next turn I drew. It wasn't a recruiter. Or sorry, I I, I drew. It wasn't a recruiter. I played a Lurin, uh, cast Militia Bugler. Militia Bugler found Manowar. I cast Manowar, bounced my own Militia Bugler, cast Militia Bugler. Oh, right. My opponent was playing Paradox Engine Time Vault. (laughs) Okay. I cast Fibblethip, drew a card. It wasn't a recruiter. 
Uh, and the card I revealed off Militia Bugler, I, I was resigned to having to pass the turn to try to kill them next turn with my Elod Amory's Call, was Knight of Autumn. So I got to pass the turn knowing they were on an artifact combo deck with instant a potential speed inst removal. instant speed Knight of Autumn. Yikes. Like, All right, I guess I'll pass with this. And then I killed them on turn four. Got him. <laughs> After they were like, they they because they were saying they thought it was a good matchup for them because they, they assumed they were faster than me. <laughs> and didn't didn't respect the Aluren. No respect. So, got him. When you're in that position, to, to all the artifact combo players out there, if you're against a creature combo deck, surprise, they're probably going to blow up everything you care about. <laughs> mm -hmm. So the only way to, I mean, not the only way, but the best way to combat that is to just assume you're going to lose and then ranch them. Ah. Oh, because it's the, if, the woolly strat. No, I wouldn't go that. <clears throat> no. That's unfair. No, you don't, you, don't tell them you're gonna, you don't tell them you're going to lose. You yeah. just think it. You yeah. just think it. Yeah. And you sigh a lot. And then you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, friends. Well, that's going to be it for our episode today. I want to say again, thank you very much to everybody who responded. Uh, really appreciate all the feedback and all the support. You're all wonderful. A reminder that North 100 is brought to you by you with your support over at the Patreon at patreon.com slash Thank you so much for watching, and we will see you next time. See you later.